Welcome to the Sky Guide for January. My name is Nick Lom. I'm Curator of Astronomy here at Sydney Observatory. This Sky Guide is on www.sydneyobservatory.com slash blog. We'll start off the Sky Guide by touring the stars visible this month. In the second part of this uh, podcast, we will uh, consider planets and other special events like eclipses happening this month. Before starting the tour of the night sky, if possible, download the star map that's uh, available from, uh, from this website, available each month. Then take it outside, settle down, make sure you, under, you know the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west. Ideally, you should have a torch with you, a small torch, and put a little bit of red cellophane in front of the torch so you can look at the star map and look up at the stars without wrecking your adaptation to the night sky. So let us uh, start off our tour of the night sky and start off by facing north in the late evening and, of course, in January it does not become... uh, dark until fairly late uh, as we have uh, summertime at least in most of the states in in Australia. So settle settle down and look towards the northern sky and dominating the northern sky is the familiar constellation of Orion that is always a welcome signpost for the Australian summer sky. Orion is quite unmistakable. It's high up in the northern sky. It's almost due north in the evening. It can be recognised with four stars in the rectangle and three stars in the middle in a row. And these three stars are Orion's belt. The star on the right is a reddish star, one of the few stars in the sky that can actually tell its colour. It is a star called Betelgeuse. It's a giant star, hundreds of times wider than our own sun. The name Betelgeuse comes from the Arabic and it means the armpit of the giant. So even though it sounds like a very exotic name, in fact it means something very mundane, it describes the location of the star in an old-fashioned constellation drawing uh, for the constellation of Orion. And you may ask why Orion's armpit is on the bottom of the constellation, not at the top. It's because the constellation was named in the Northern Hemisphere and we're looking at the constellation upside down. So poor Orion has his head down and his legs above his head. The star diagonally opposite in Orion, which is another bright star, a car, but not without the reddish colour, it's a bluish-white colour, and that's a star called Rigel. It is also a very bright star. It's a giant star, and it's a long way from us. It's 775 light years from us. So in other words, light takes 775 years to reach us from that star. So that light left Rigel back around the 1200s or 1300s, a long time ago. 
It's a giant star, it's a star that's sort of fairly late in its life cycle. So unlike our own sun, which is uh, converting hydrogen to helium, Rigel is converting helium to carbon and oxygen. Stars use that kind of fuel only at a very late stage of their life cycle. It's a fairly hot star, it's 11,000 degrees Celsius, which is uh, much hotter than our own sun, the surface temperature of which is around 5,500 degrees. And it's also very large, it's 70 times wider than our own sun. It has a distant companion as well, so it's not a single star, but there is a star that is circling around it, but it's a long way away from the main star of Rigel. One of the many nice things about looking at Orion is that it can be used as a signpost to find other stars and star groupings in the sky. If we extend the three stars of Orion's belt, that's the three stars in a row, uh, towards the left, that is towards the west, we reach another bright star, a star called Aldebaran. And that is the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus the Bull. Aldebaran is a reddish-orange star. Its colour is not quite as obvious as, uh, as that of uh, Betel Goose, but it is still uh, not the usual white, white colour that we can see for most stars in the sky. It is a giant star, about 40 times as wide as our own sun, and shining with a brightness about 350 times that of our own sun. Its distance is 65 light years, that is light left it 65 years ago. Those group of stars form an upside down V in the sky and that is the easiest way to find the constellation of uh, Taurus the Bull and uh, Aldebaran. Interestingly those V-shaped group of stars are much further away than, uh, than Aldebaran. So Aldebaran is actually between us and the other stars in that group. And those stars in that group all form part of one cluster, a cluster called the Hyades. They are at 150 light years away. And one of the many interesting things about a cluster of stars, a group of stars, all at the same distance, that they all move in the same direction, they all formed at the same time and because of the geometric properties and the properties of the individual stars astronomers can actually determine the age of that cluster of stars, that group of stars and the age turns out to be 660 million years which may sound a long time um, compared to human lifetimes but in fact that that's quite recent um, if you think about it, because our own sun has an age something around 5,000 million years. So 660 is relatively recent. If we go a little bit further along the line that we've extended from Orion's belt, so we've extended the line towards the left, towards the west, to Aldebaran. Now if we extend the line a little bit further, we reach another compact group of stars called the Pleiades and that is the most 
famous star cluster in the, star, in the sky. It's a group of stars um, which is provide, provides a very good test of eyesight. Most people can see six of them, but those with very good eyes can also see a fainter one, which is a fainter seventh one. There are many legends and stories associated with these stars. So there is, with Greek, uh, according to Greek mythology, they are the seven sisters, and the story is that something happened to the seven sister, and that's why it's much fainter. Similarly, according to one group of stories of Australian Aboriginal people, they are the seven ancestral women, and of which one fell in love with two spirit men on earth and basically stayed behind while the others returned to the sky. And uh, one sister and the two spirit men uh, became the parents or became the originators of everything else of all life on earth. Many more than the seven can be seen. Hundreds of stars can be seen in that cluster through a telescope. Interestingly, photographs of the cluster show that there is also a bit of gas and dust visible around many of the stars in the cluster. And first thought that suggests that this is the remnants of the gas and dust these stars were formed. But when astronomers measured the various velocities involved, they found that the gas and dust is moving in a different direction to that of the stars. So in fact they have no real connection except the gas and dust cloud has collided with the Pleiades star cluster and the stars are just moving through the gas and the dust. Let's extend uh, Orion's belt in the other direction. We first uh, extended it towards the left, towards uh, Aldebaran, and then further towards the Pleiades. Now let's extend it towards the right, towards the east, and upwards, and we reach the star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. Sirius is the brightest star of the constellation of Canis Major, the Great Dog. So occasionally Sirius is referred to as the Dog Star. It is the brightest star in the sky, so it's worth becoming familiar with that brightness because if you see anything brighter in the sky, it is likely to be a planet like Jupiter or Venus. Venus, of course, can be the brightest object in the night sky. One of the interesting things about Sirius is that it's a companion star, a very faint companion star, which is called by astronomers by the name Sirius B. Not a very exciting name, but that is still a very simple way of distinguishing the object. And even though it does not have an exciting name, it is a very exciting object because it's a very compact object. It's a faint and compact object and it is believed to be a white dwarf star, a star about the size of the Earth, yet at the same time the mass of the Sun. So it's an extremely compact uh, object. Um, some material from, uh, from a white dwarf, if, say, if you take a matchbox amount of material from a white dwarf, then that will take several cranes, or at least a very massive crane, to lift because its mass would be several tons.
this companion star is very hard to detect because it's uh, overwhelmed by the brightness of the main star, Sirius A. But it was first detected back in 1840s by an astronomer called Friedrich Bessel and he noticed that uh, there was a slight wobble in the motion of Sirius and that wobble was due to the companion star which is circling around uh, Sirius A. And it was finally seen by the optician Alvin Clark in the United States in 1863 when Clark was testing a new telescope that he was building a new large telescope. He tried it on, uh, on Sirius and he noticed that there was a faint object next to the bright star of Sirius. This uh, faint white dwarf takes 50 years to circle around the main star. The two stars were closest together in uh, 1994 and they'll be furthest apart in 2019. So over the next few years they'll become easier to tell them apart or certainly easier to notice Sirius B. Let us just briefly go to the southern part of the sky. So let's turn around and, and face south. The Southern Cross is in the southeastern sky. It's basically on its on its side. And of course, the Southern Cross can be recognised by the two pointer stars, Alpha and Beta Centauri, directly below. Okay, it can be very easily confused with another group of stars somewhat higher up in the sky uh, which is referred to as the false cross but the real southern cross is much more compact and has the two pointer stars directly below pointing up to the stars of the southern cross if you look at the southern cross and if we take a line from the star on the left and the top star take a line upwards we reach a very bright star which is almost overhead, a star called Canopus and that is the second brightest star in the night sky, almost as bright as the star Sirius. This completes the guide to the stars of the January night sky. We will continue with the second part of this podcast talking about the planets and other phenomena, other events that are happening in the January night sky. This is a description of the planets and other events happening in January 2009. 2009 is of course the International Year of Astronomy. So there will be many events, astronomical events happening during the year. The year commemorates the 400th anniversary of the Italian astronomer Galileo Galilei, first turning his telescope to the night sky and really beginning the series of discoveries that were to completely revolutionise astronomy. And so 1st of January is the beginning of uh, the International Year of Astronomy. The planets visible during the month. We have Mercury visible very low in the west at the, at the beginning of the month, but after a few days, Mercury disappears. We can still see Venus in the western sky, 
shining very brightly as Venus always does. On the first it is near the crescent moon or more precisely I should say that the crescent moon is near Venus as the crescent moon is the one which moves faster being closer to us. So we'll have the, on the 1st of January in the early evening we'll be able to see the crescent moon near Venus and that is always a very spectacular sight. And again that will happen at the end of the month on the 30th of January when again the crescent moon will be near the very bright planet Venus. The planet Jupiter can only be seen on the evening of the 1st of January but that will also disappear just like uh, Mercury right at the beginning of the month. So from then on uh, planets um, are only really visible um, planets apart from Venus are only visible in the in the early morning so early rises you can see Mercury, Mars and Saturn but those planets are not visible in the evenings. We do have a major astronomical event during the month and that's an eclipse of the Sun. It's a partial eclipse only a very small amount of the Sun, the Sun's disk is, is going to be covered by the Moon this will happen on the evening of Australia Day, 26th of January, Monday, the 26th of January. From the eastern states, especially from Sydney, only there will only be a very small fraction of the sun covered by the moon, and that will happen just before sunset. So it will only you'll only be able to see the eclipse only for a short period before sunset, but it will be better as we go further west across the country and 34% so more just over one third of the sun's, sun's width will be covered by the moon as seen from Perth. Now of course please remember that it's dangerous to look directly at the sun. You need to have uh, appropriate equipment to be able to look, look at the sun and eclipse of the sun. The safest way to do so is uh, if you have access to a small telescope or a pair of binoculars is to project an image of the Sun and look at the projected image on a piece of card or if you do not have a telescope or a pair of binoculars make a pinhole camera make a hole or a number of holes in a piece of card and project the image on another card and you'll see small images on which the progress of the eclipse will be clearly visible. This ends the guide to the night sky in January 2009. It's available from the Sydney Observatory blog www.sydneyobservatory.com blog. Of course you can get more detailed information and monthly star maps from our publication the Australian Sky Guide which I produce each year for Sydney Observatory and is published by Powerhouse Publishing. It has a bargain price of only $16.95. Um, you can buy it personally from uh, Powerhouse Museum, Sydney Observatory, also from good bookstores. You can also order it online, though there is an additional postage fee, uh, from uh, www.powerhousemuseum.com publishing 
or directly from the blog uh, www.sydneyobservatory.com slash blog and there is a banner on the top right uh, which takes you directly to the order form for the Australian Sky Guide. And my name is Nick Lom, I'm Curator of Astronomy at Sydney Observatory.